Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm your host, Fabio Molle, and every week I bring you insights and lessons from players, coaches, parents, and experts who are ingrained in the world of high-level tennis. This week returns ATP doubles coach Rob Morgan to the podcast. I'm just back from the ATP Nido Finals, and this is a fitting episode with Rob, who's also just back from his fourth year in a row working as a coach with a top doubles team at the finals. We chat about Rob's learnings over the past four years as a top coach, how he's improved as a coach in those four years, the importance of getting the player in the right mindset for matches, how the doubles game has changed over the years and how it will change in the future. And he also touches on his tennis academy he has with his brother. If you enjoyed this episode, I want to learn more about the early years of Rob's tennis career and his coaching journey. Check out episode 124 of the Functional Tennis Podcast. And before we get started, a shout out to our podcast sponsors, ASICS, who make the world's best tennis shoes and their shoe, the Court FF3, as worn by world number one and recent Nido ATP Tour Finals champion Novak Djokovic, recently won our week-long shoe the year shootout on our Instagram account. So it's officially the Functional Tennis Shoe of the Year. Head over to ASICS.com to get details on their tennis shoes or message me if you have any questions. Let's jump into our chat with Rob. Rob, welcome back to the Functional Tennis Podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thanks a lot for having me, Fab. Uh, excited to have you on. We haven't had a show in a couple of weeks here and a few lined up this week, but then I was hoping to see you in Turin. Unfortunately, you, let, you left because you obviously didn't, guys didn't make it to the semis, but you did have a good post on Instagram, which I saw, and it basically was you talking about it was your fourth ATP Tour final. Uh, you've reflected and learned a lot. And I thought to myself, that is a great caption. And I'd love to know what Rob has learned. And so would our listeners. So Rob, uh, great to have you on and excited to hear about what you've learned over the past four years, working with the best of the best at the tour finals. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely been some, it's always the time of the year that I reflect on everything within the year obviously you're right at the end of the year so naturally you do but with regards to the tennis season it's once you've had such an intense ending um you you tend to really look back at everything that's happened along that year um obviously you're reflecting and trying to get better for for the upcoming year as well and you know i've noticed a couple of things over the time that i've i've had this season on tour that have really kind of stood out to me and been the times where, you know, certain things that I may have mentioned throughout the year have really come to to the surface in, in a positive way. Um, yeah, and I took a lot from that this this year. When, it, when everything stops, it tends to be the time where you process everything. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a good time to reflect. And just, I know it's a bit different to what we're talking about, but we, we hear a lot about players at the end of the year, they're tired, fatigue builds up, they're mentally drained, physically drained. And I know this, the finals should be a big push, but you still hear the commentators saying, oh, it's been a long year. But you as a coach, we never hear anybody say the coach has had a tough year, 32 weeks on the road. He must be tired, missing his family. How do you feel after? How many weeks have you done this year on the road? Roughly, roughly around... 26, 27 weeks, something like that. And how do you feel? 
Yeah, it's look when when everything stops, I feel tired. But in the moment, it is you're running with the adrenaline. You're playing every match with the players. You're fully invested in them. There's a lot of time spent analysing someone else, i.e., your player or the team. Um, there's a lot of time focusing on other people, and very little time for you to reflect and kind of put yourself first, really. So it does catch up with you. I mean, today I am extremely tired, whereas when I when I got back on Saturday morning, I wasn't too bad. Um, but a couple of days go by and you slow down, then that's when it tends to hit you. So it's definitely a demanding job, being away from home, traveling through time zones, different hotels most weeks. However... I do feel extremely privileged and extremely lucky to be in the situation that I'm in. Um, the life is the life is amazing in terms of you, you spend it with amazing people. You're at some some of the biggest sporting events in the world, and you learn a lot from being around other people. Small things, cultural things, sometimes. Um, but it, it, after a while, that it does catch up with you in terms of fatigue as a coach because. There's so much thought and so much attention that goes into everything that you deliver, um, even if it's not saying anything. Sometimes that takes energy to to yeah. stop, um, depending on your personality. So it's uh, it's definitely a, a balancing act of you know trying to make sure you you give information, but also hold it down and don't really say too much. So it's uh, it can definitely be be tiring yeah does a player ever chat to you and say rob you could do this better you know you're giving them advice all the time you know hit your forehand better concentrate or whatever that is but does a player ever actually say rob i saw coach the other coach doing this or maybe you could do this better does that ever happen no that's never happened to me before but what i do do is i do seek feedback i seek feedback I always go to the player at some point, usually multiple times throughout the year. Um, not necessarily like quarterly, yeah. like uh, perfectly set out throughout the year, but there is times where I will, you know, put the player on the spot and I say, look, is there anything that you need me to do more of? Or what do you feel about this? Can we have a discussion about that? Um, often it's, no, everything's going good. But that doesn't stop me from, you know, trying to maybe tweak things here and there that I might anticipate the player might respond to a little bit better. That's definitely healthy. Um, but I've never had that in the past, no. And tell me, how does your coaching structure work as a team perspective? I know things are changing next year, but let's say this year was like you work with Neil and Wesley and you're the coach. Was there other coaches involved? I'm just, I see... Our friend uh, Dave O'Hare works with, with Joe and Rajiv and he sort of works more with Joe and then there's Louis and a few other coaches. So I always find the, the doubles coaching system a, a bit, you know, you don't know what's going on from the outside and not that you have to know, but it, it does help. How, how, does, how does your situation work? So this year and, and last year, I was the, the sole coach of Wesley. Kulhoff. Um, Neil's coach has been Louis Kaye and his brother, Ken Skupski. Um, and 
between myself, Ken and Louis, we will communicate regularly at tournaments when we're not at tournaments to yeah, discuss X, Y, and Z with regards to the team. Um, the importance of communication is ex- extremely, yeah, you can't put any, any, any value on it, but it's just, it's so important that there's a complete honesty and openness when, when communicating with, with coaches that you work with, within the team. Um, so yeah, I mean, when I was working with Joe and Rajiv a couple of years ago, I was with them for two years. I was the main lead coach of that. Um, and Louis was kind of helping out Joe and then there was a few other people with Rajiv on the outside as well. So sometimes the, the teams are bigger than what you think. Yeah. Um, other times they're a little bit smaller. Sometimes it's just one, one coach per team. Um, but in the last two years, it's been myself, Louis Kyer and, and Ken Skupski. And also, so you work with Wesley uh, Ken works with Neil and Louis is Louis there as well. But who makes like so would individual training sessions go on like during the week? Not everything's done together, is it? No, so not everything's done together. I think the importance of individual time within a doubles team is paramount. Sometimes it's nice to just for the player to get away from their partner, um, even if they might not notice it. It's a little bit more. Yeah, you can spend a little bit more intricate time with with them on the court, focusing on really specific stuff that maybe you can only really do coach player. Because um, when you're leading a team session, you kind of want to get what's done for, for both people at the same time, but that might go away from what's really needed sometimes. Um, but yeah, there is individuals that go on, um, but the majority of the time it's team practices and who's making the overall team decision then who's saying look we need to work on this this strategy so it's more strategy calls aren't they is that what team practice is around yeah so it it depends on recent performances what people have seen during the matches during the tournaments but that's very collective so for example i might say we need to do x ken might say i agree uh, Neil and Wes might say yeah but how about this and it's all very collective and ultimately once we've put all the ideas and thoughts on the table we then tend to prioritise what is the most important out of that and what's the most common thing that needs to get better and we work towards that as a, as a team And is there ever any any of the players that you've worked with over your years coaching where you know there's more of a somebody's a stronger press so they work more on their things that you know does that happen a bit not through the teams that i've worked with um the the, the majority of the people that i've well all of the the the, the teams i work with have been they've been great people so they're they're very forthcoming in being able to help each other out but that's where as a coach sometimes you've got to make a decision on you know what where's actually today we're going to do 45 minutes before we go and practice with neil so we can really nail some stuff down um, and vice versa. Neil would do that with Ken. Um, and I used to do it in the past as well with, with Jeremy Jeeve and yeah, all, all the teams seem to seem to enjoy that. Yeah. I, I think a lot of the general public don't know that these doubles teams have their own, you know, specific coaches 
And from from my awareness, and I'm a little bit in tennis, and you know, I know a little bit about it. I don't know too much, but definitely think the general public don't know how big their teams are, which which is a bit crazy because you know yeah. a lot of work goes into it, and it's the guys at the top of the game are absolutely amazing, and obviously the coaching helps so much, and it's helped raise the game of the players. Yeah, it's, it does really take a village. Like there's a lot of players, uh, people involved with the players. Um, right down to strength and conditioning coaches, you know, um, and that's where everyone needs to know what their role is and what they're bringing to the team. Um, and I feel like if it's addressed right at the beginning, that honesty and, you know, not being afraid to speak your mind with the best interest at heart for the player is, is, is clear and able to be put on the table, really feel like it's going to be difficult to mess that up because there's a collective there around a player where everyone is sharing the same vision, the same goal of trying to get the player from A to B or to, you know, achieve certain milestones in their career. Um, And that's where it becomes a real kind of brotherhood around around the, the player, in this case, obviously, male player. Um, yeah, so that 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 is uh, it's always good to to balance off each other. Yeah, I watched a bit of Prime TV this this week with the Nido Finals. I think most, the most common phrase I actually heard was "It takes a small village." It was I never heard it as much on the TV, but it was said multiple times. So and look, it's completely it's completely true. But getting on to so go back you four years ago, your first time at the Tour Finals. Uh, What's changed in your coaching? How have you become a better coach over those four years? Good question. I think it's that cliche phrase of less is more, but what importance are you placing on that little bit extra that you're focusing on? So, for instance, when everyone gets to the tour finals, everybody knows how everybody plays. You will find it be very rare for teams to come and do something completely different to what they've been doing all season. And obviously it's top eight teams in the world or top eight players in the world in singles. Everybody backs themselves to beat each other and everybody can literally beat each other. So that's where for me, over the time I've spent in the tournament over four years, the tennis almost almost becomes secondary unless there's a complete disparity of level on that day, which sometimes can happen. But normally, everyone's playing very good tennis. And I like to split the the team or the tennis player into two different things. So that you've got a tennis player, so the tactical side, technical side, etc. And then you've got the, the athlete is a performer. So that is stuff like their energy, between points, their energy during the point, um, their communication to each other, how vocal they are, how much they're willing to put their body on the line to, to hustle points and to work work for points, even if they're down within the rally, um, their communication with the box, and basically building on everything that, that is within their control and trying to take that to the maximum level possible. And that is always the thing that stands out to me, whether my team has been very successful in that tournament or whether they've gone 
maybe a little earlier out in the tournament than than what we had liked. You look at the the other teams who have done things really really well. It it's not necessarily a tennis thing. It it tends to come down to the big moments and them as performers and how they really collaborate and find a way forward to to getting over the line. And that is not practiced enough. It's it's as important as practicing your tennis skills and executing tactical um, plans. It's as important, if not as, uh, if not more important, to to practice those skills of being a great performer. And that is done in my experience. It's done when you're playing practice matches. And I know some people don't like doing this, but make it as real as possible. Can you? Obviously, you're not going to be getting massively pumped in practice matches, but there is an element of what you can be doing in practice matches um, which can really help you perform on the day. What are what are examples of that? Like, you have to get Wesley you super pumped. We need to work on this. We need you, you know, I can, in, you know, in his face, you know, in the practice session. And how, how do you get Wesley in, in that mood? Yeah, so... It's a personality thing, first of all. So Wes is never going to be someone that is like really in the opponent's face. That's not him. But he is a phenomenal athlete. Phenomenal athlete. And if when I get Wes and when he gets himself into a frame of mind that I am the best athlete on the court and I'm going to show that, I'm not going to let a ball get past me when I'm at the net. I'm not going to let a serve get past me when I'm when I'm returning. I'm not going to get a ball get let get over me when I'm at the net, you know, and just hustling everything and maximizing his physical potential and almost being animalistic out there with his, with the use of his, of his super strengths of his body and his physicality. What you see when you manage to channel that into the player is all of a sudden they're, they're grunting more. All of a sudden they're getting to balls that they might not normally get to. And when they get there, often the ball's coming back with interest, you know? And you have to, it's not just a, ca- a case of sitting down and go, right, this is how you're going to be. Sometimes that is the case, but you have to work your way up to that. So if I know that I'm wanting to get Wes in that state in the match, my seeds start being planted two days before. And I'm working my way up to the point that it's not a surprise what I've said. It's not foreign what I've said. And there has been a deliberate build-up with how I deliver that message. And then on the day, it's a very short conversation, however it might be, and that can change. We can't think exactly what word for word what I might say, but most of that is done off the court with me anyway because you're planting the seed and you're allowing the player to find their optimum arousal level themselves and check into exactly how they need to be on that day. And at the highest level of the game, the players know what that is. If you're working with a junior, it's very different. You have to teach them. It's an education process. Um, but at the highest level of the game, when you're you know, 33, 34, 35 years old, people know how to get towards that state but it just requires like a a shared continual message over a number of days and let's say like Wesley's playing last week and he 
you know, you can tell, obviously, you know what that mode of that version of Wesley is. You know, he does, he exhales when he hits shots. He's in that mood and he's not in it. And, you know, this this isn't going to end good. I need to switch him on. How do how do you switch him on in a match when he's not switched on? Can you can you achieve that? I know it's not easy. Yeah, I mean, there's only certain there's only certain things as a coach that you can do. Obviously, now you can coach from the sidelines. Um, however, at the Nito finals, the box is so far away; it's very difficult to interact with the player, especially because it's got to be one one way conversation. It can't be. Like, uh, it can't be you're having a chat. It's got to be you're just saying a few things to them and they're, they're either going to respond or not. So your energy from the box might help that. Um, how you are, how you present yourself sat in the box. Are you standing up? You know, are you, when you're praising them and clapping, are you, you know, making a little bit more noise yourself and can that rub off? Um, obviously, each player is different. Some players might like that. Some players might hate that. I'm jumping in here, but what about each coach is different where, you know, some coaches maybe like they're not into the America, you know, they're giving it fists all the time and they're just a bit more. Does that make a difference? Well, I'm sure the player knows you're like that. Yeah, I think it does make a difference. Um, I think as a coach, you can't just be one way though. Like you've got to be ready to explore and adapt other ways to be able to get the best out of the player. If you're a quiet coach and your player is quiet and what is needed is some volume and some vicious you know, energy, then as a coach, you better step up and try and try and pull the best out of the player. I don't care how uncomfortable that's going to make you feel. Like As a coach, you've got a job to do and you've got to pull your weight and you've got to be willing to you know, explore areas that maybe you haven't explored before. And it's okay to, for a better or another word, F that up a bit. In my opinion, you, it's okay to, to fuck that up. It, as long as you have the mindset of, okay, this is what needs to get better. I didn't get it right this time. I'm going to go again and try it this way. Um, so as a coach, you've got to sometimes get your hands dirty and, and really help out at times because now it's it's legal. You're allowed to do that from the sidelines. Um, and how much do you want it for your player? That's a question that I would ask the coach. If they're not comfortable, do it. Oh, okay, well, do you want to win or do you want to just be okay with coming in second? And second in tennis is last. That's a, a very good point. That's a good answer. Uh, thanks for that. And oh, look, looking at the game over the past four years, how, how has doubles changed? It seems to be bigger server coming in now. It's very much served. Right. I know it always was served dominated, but you could argue it's even more served dominated now. Yeah, I think that's very highlighted on the courts in Turin, in the finals as well. It, it is a strong serving court. What I mean by that is the serve gets a lot of reward. Um, the doubles game is extremely physical now. You've only got to watch the, you know, the top players play to, to see how physical the game is. You know, Going back 15 years, the... The doubles game definitely was not as physical as what it is now. Um, everyone's a serious athlete. Um, that is the biggest thing that I've noticed is that, you know, everyone is very, very good um, from a physical standpoint. Um, but yeah, the serving is, is always going to be a dominant thing within tennis now in general, male and female tennis now. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of a lot of things that 
I think are changing in terms of tactics. Uh, obviously, the singles players now are there when they decide to play the doubles events, they can cause a lot of issues for some of the doubles teams, especially maybe slightly lower ranked doubles teams, is they can hit them off the court. And then they're playing often both back when returning first and sometimes second serves, and they're hitting through them. Um, so you've got to be ready to adapt your tactics and, and, and play smart against those type of players. But uh, definitely the physicality of the sport is consistently improving. Now, I did see, I saw a couple of the Rajiv Ram and Joe matches where Rajiv's servant seems to be un- untouchable. Like, I know they couldn't get near him. It was like he was holding easy. And I'm not sure if he held every game easy, but it looked, the ones I'd seen was, look, it's, there's no, they're not going to break him like, and I didn't see anybody close to break them. So it's, uh, yeah, it was quite, it was quite impressive seeing it. And then I know in the returns, how important they are, because all of a sudden you can make, I saw the Aussies make some, great returns and in the first set against Joe and Rajiv but ultimately they end up they couldn't sustain it for two sets and the things changed and but yeah it's, it's, it just shows the importance of all these little extra shots now yeah definitely and look you look at the Aussies Rinki Hijikata is an unbelievable returner but when you are returning someone like Rajiv's serve I mean he's an unbelievable spot server he can hit spots pretty much anywhere on the court he wants to and sometimes even if you know where it's going and you cheat your position, it doesn't mean you're going to get anything from that point because you've got, you know, a gazelle at the net, that is Joe, that can be everywhere. Um, and that's one of their massive strengths and they know that. They're a very strong serving team collectively. Um, credit to them for that. Um, and they did that unbelievably well in, in the finals. So, um, yeah, well done to them. And... How do you see doubles moving forward the next four years? So we're having this chat in four years' time, and how how do how do you see the game going? Game's even quicker. Um, I think that's going to be the biggest thing that the speed of the game. I mean, it's it's so fast now, um, but it's only going to get quicker. Um, I think from a viewing standpoint, that might not always produce the best viewing depending on the environment that you're in, because the rallies can be extremely short. Um, obviously, to the to the regular tennis fan, they'd want to see more rallies, uh, which is why I think naturally more people would gravitate towards watching a singles match, because there's a little bit more of stuff that's going on, what you can see with the ball. Um, but I, I see the, the game of doubles getting a lot quicker, even quicker than what it is now. I see the physicality improving even more so. Um, yeah, and I, I think it's going to be something to to really watch out for and who uh, who decides to prioritise doubles earlier in their career than what maybe they would have done five, ten years ago is going to be interesting. Yeah, I'm sure we've we've seen some of that already, haven't we? Like, it, it goes on, it goes on plenty, but what one thing would you change in the in the rules if you could? One thing that you think could make doubles better? You know what? I, I always think about this question. I don't think I'd change the score system. I quite like it the way it is. In the ATP tournaments, the Sudden Death Juice and the, the Championship Breaker, I quite like that. The whole warm-up thing, like getting rid of the warm-up, 
I'm not a fan of that. I think the four minutes is, is good. It, it builds the match. Um, you know what? I don't know. I don't know what I think would change. I, I tell you what, having one consistent ball throughout the year, not just for doubles, but for the whole tour would be brilliant because then you would see, I think, a little bit more consistent results. Um with with uh, with teams because the the balls make a huge difference. So the the balls were very the eighty dollar off ATPs, lively balls, on a lively court. You're slightly altitude and terrain, and the ball absolutely flies. Um, so I think if if there was a consistent ball throughout the year leading up to that point, I think that would be beneficial. Even a consistent ball per surface. So hard court, we're going to use this clay, yes, grass, this and. That's it. What yeah. is your ball? What is your ball of choice, actually? Or maybe let me rephrase this: What ball did your team play with best? Ooh. Um, well, they obviously won Wimbledon this year, so the Slazenger ball was was their best best ball, if you yeah. wanted to put it that way. Um, me personally, I kind of like. I do like the Dunlop ATP balls personally, um, but again, it depends on which surface you're on. But I think. Dunlop ACP on hard, great. Yeah, Clay Wilson, um, yeah, and I think that obviously the Slazenger ball for uh, for Wimby is is, is good. Sure. That's classic. Flat yeah. like Robinson's classic. And do you, <laughs> we hear a lot of we hear a lot of people moaning. You know, my arm, this, this, that. But you're in the circle. Our players actively complain about having arm issues with the change of balls yes it's, it's definitely an issue for sure I think that people underestimate the the difference that the, that the balls make on, on the athlete's body um, I think certain conditions will enhance the the effects of the ball as well um, you'll have to alter string tension you'll have to you know change whatever it is that you need to change but Ultimately, there's still a lot of force going through the racket into the player's arm, into the player's body. And every athlete is is not bulletproof. As much as the people that watch TV might think that they should be, it's, it's definitely a problem. And the, the fact that the, the game is getting faster, heavier, it's only going to have more of, a, of an effect on the player. So, yeah, you do see regular, um, you know, niggles appearing with uh, with certain players with throughout the year and they have definitely got a valid point in saying that there should be a, a consistent ball um, throughout the year I mean over the this last swing Vienna Paris Turin um, and then the tournament before that I think there was something like four different balls um, which is you know it, it takes you a good couple of days to get used to the ball yeah. sometimes um, depending on where you are in the world and what surface you're playing on. So, do you see that changing? No, I agree with you. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't see that changing. No, unfortunately, yeah. not anytime soon. Anyway, maybe in four years' time there'll be a bit of a change. Yeah. But yeah, I personally don't see it changing. And Rob, tell me, you you still have your academy back home? Uh, how's that going? Yeah, it's great. Um, M2 Performance Academy. It's myself and my brother that uh that run it and own it and it's it's our our real passion it's our future um 
we absolutely love it. The, the people we have in the academy, both the staff and the, the tennis community is is amazing. We feel very, very lucky to be in such a good position um, where we are up in Lancashire in the UK. And uh, yeah, we're really excited about the future for that. And it's something that when I have been away for, for a long time, coming back to the academy is, uh, is a big, big bonus. And it, it's almost a bit of a dream come true, really, especially with working with your brother. Um, and we've got a couple of great staff members with us now as well who, who, who hold it down unbelievably and represent us to an extremely high level. So we're, we're very, very proud of it. And what sort of players, age group do you play? Do you have in the academy? So we have from twelve to twenty-four. Um, so the majority of our players are younger players from twelve to kind of sixteen, and then we have uh, full-time players from fifteen, sixteen up to twenty-four years old. It must must be great for those guys. You know, you're on tour, you're learning every week, and to bring that experience back. But my last question to you is, what advice do you have for parents out there who, sorry, or let me go again. What advice do you have for parents based on your experience on being on the world tour and also having your academy? How can they be better parents for their tennis playing kids? I think it just depends on on the player and on their child, to be honest. But the one thing that is very noticeable on the tour is that any parent that is on tour with their child still, there's a massive presence of how they are within within their tennis lives. Some people might look at those parents and go, oh, they're, they're pushy parents. But I actually see that as a huge positive if there's something like that and the parent is fully invested and involved in the in their child's sporting career or journey. I see that as a positive as long as you as a coach can can be ready to work with that, which I think is super important. And a lot of tennis coaches don't like doing that. We love it. We see that as something that we can massively use to, to the advantage of the player is working closely with the parents. So I think good regular communication is 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 huge. And um, yeah, I mean, my parents sacrificed a lot for myself and my and my brother and our tennis journey. So I don't see how it can be done otherwise. Um, so just being ready to, to put the, the, the kid first, which I'm sure all parents do. Um, but yeah, always look to be the best you can be and keep things simple and do the basics really, really well. And will your kids play tennis? Well, if I have any. Yeah. Are you going to let them play tennis? Are <laughs> you going to be like, no, you, no, no, play football? <laughs> no, I think any sport... I, I just think sport's a great life teacher, to be honest. Um, if I do have kids in the future then they want to play tennis, then so be it. Great. Rob, uh, thank you very much. For listeners who want to know more about Rob, they can check out our, our last episode, which was 124 with Rob. It's about two years ago, and you tell us a bit how you got into tennis, and uh, you talk about the academy. You actually talk about communication, the importance, and it was, it was a great episode. So if you want to know about more about Rob check him out there otherwise uh, you can follow him online what's your Instagram account uh, it's at Rob uh, at Coach Rob Morgan great and yeah Rob uh, great enjoy your I'm not sure how long you've off maybe you've a week off and uh, enjoy and looking forward thanks. to what happens next year thanks very much for having me Fab. appreciate it I hope you enjoyed that chat with Rob 
He's really interesting. It's great he gets to work at the highest level of the doubles game. I hope you learned something. I'll be back next week. And on the show will be US player Bradley Klan, who has recently just retired. Goodbye. <laughs>